Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, May 19th, 2019, we're continuing our series titled Genesis in the Beginning. Today's sermon, The Divine Conversation, is going to be taught to us by Pastor Jeff Stevens from Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 through 25. Hope you enjoy. Good morning, Highlands. Man, I got to tell you, I know I always tell you this, but I'm going to get pretty excited today. <laughs> um, this is incredible. The more that I dug into God's word and studied God's creation and his order of creation, I'm here to validate for you that what Thomas said two weeks ago when he said all creation was designed to worship the creator, not the other way around. Today we enter into the room and we have our presuppositions as to how big our God is. I hope that when you leave today that you add an infinite amount of more bigness to this God. Because the words that he chooses to use as he spoke creation into existence are profound. It shows the power, the sovereignty, the all-knowing, omnipotent, omniscient, God of the universe. He lays out for us a plan that he spoke into existence thousands of years ago, and in it he is revealing to us today the very things that he spoke into existence then. He has stopped his creation on his sixth day, and on the seventh day he rested And all that is to come is being revealed to us as time goes on. I remember as a younger man when I was at that stage of life, uh, anxious to find a wife, and I was going around trying to figure out, you know, what what does God have for me? Where is the woman that God has for me? Well, I met Jill at a camp, a Young Life camp, uh, in Northern California called Woodleaf. And... I set eyes on her. I was sitting there. I don't even remember who I was with. She was walking with a girl who she always has to remind me who it was because she's not important. And so we were, I was sitting there. I'm like, whoa, right there. And I beeline across this field and I come to her. And this is going to come shocking for those that know me. I was blunt. I walk straight up to her and I say, hi, I'm Jeff. I see you're not wearing a ring. What do you do for fun? And she graciously humored me, and that camp went on. Her boyfriend at that time was at that camp, so there was still a lot of fun, because I didn't care that he was there either. (laughs) And so we went about our job. She was from San Diego, I was from Los Angeles, and we ministered to kids that we had brought with us as leaders, high schoolers. And then it was a season had gone past, and then we were at winter camp, and here we are in Utah, And I see her beautiful face across the lobby while we're trying to organize some 700 kids into hotel rooms. And I see her across and I'm bumping through the kids coming through and there she is again. And I'm like, hi, it's so good to see you. Are you still with the boyfriend? (laughs) No, I'm not. So we got a chance to spend some time with uh, our kids that we were sharing the gospel with and ski together and enjoy uh, Park City, Utah. And Then time separated, we weren't uh, together, and 
Sure enough, you'd have it. I was back up doing some voluntary work crew stuff at Woodleaf back in Northern California. So about a year or so after I had originally met her, maybe two years. And uh, I had seen her because she was coming in in July and I was leaving in June. So we had this crossover day. And she, of course, was hiding from me. Like, there's that blunt guy. He's going to ask me out. And she went and she hid in the laundry room, which was like the last place that you would ever think, fine. But here I come to the laundry room. Hey, how are you? So good to see you. And so our ultimately, God, of course, brought us. There's no secret. I'll, like, I, I always forget to tell you the end of the story. We got married. We have four kids and all those things. But there is something significant that I will tell you later in this message about all that. And it deals with the subject of a decree. When God speaks something into existence, he is speaking a decree. Just as if the king or the queen were to speak something, it is therefore shall be. If the king or queen does not speak something, then it shall not be. For it is a decree by which we live by. God did not make decrees in a plural sense. God spoke all of existence, all of the universe, all of its creation, every blade of grass, flower of the field, every fruit tree, every person, every child into existence. So when we look at what he's speaking into existence in these days, know that he has spoken you into existence. When he made Adam and Eve, he made you. When he made his first lemon tree and told it to be fruitful and multiply, he also planted it in Bob Wade's backyard because <laughs> that tree is incredibly fruitful. He has created it all. You see, when we view God's word in its decreed simplicity rather than the intelligent complexity we tend to grow in our faith and dependence upon the creator of the universe who is also the lover of your soul. There's apprehension versus comprehension. I can apprehend what God's word says. I cannot comprehend an incomprehensible God. He's bigger than that. Just as he himself is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us, it is his word that spoke the universe into existence. It is his words that call for my radical trust and your radical trust in him. God's word and his word alone are sufficient for all of our life and every situation we deal with. As Christians, we should not fear secular science. Why? Because science does not interpret who the God of this universe is. The Word of God interprets who this God is. Not science. We wrestle today with with the very first day of creation. There's arguments in theology just over day one Did day one begin in verse one or did it begin in verse three? Many scholars take the position that verse three is the first day of creation. 
Today, just to be antagonistic, I will take the view that it starts in verse 1 and show you based upon how Scripture interprets Scripture why that to be. We don't divide over this. We don't go to our brothers and our sisters and say, let me, let me graciously show you where you're wrong. Right? What we want to do, though, is we want to dig deeply into God's Word so that we grow in our understanding of how big and how vast and how holy this God is. How long is a day is another argument. When he says yom, does he mean 24 hours or does he mean a long period of time? We'll ask the question, did God create everything from nothing or just some things from nothing? Genesis is not only a historical narrative, but it's a prologue. A prologue is just that it is an introduction of that which is to come. Eden represents the new, the new earth that will one day come. When we see in Genesis the shedding of blood and the fall of the 3,000 for worshiping a golden calf, it should remind you of what it will look like when the great white throne judgment comes for those who are not worshiping the one true God. His creation will show us that he himself is the light. Our tech team put together a great intro to give a representation of how powerful when you go from zero to 100 in light upon the commanded will of God. He said it and there so it was. He decreed it. The word of God plays such an important role in our life. Noah Webster of Webster's Dictionary In the 1820s, he was sharing with the congregation what God had put upon his heart. He said, if God had spoken the universe into existence, then words have significant meaning. And he dedicated himself to writing a dictionary. As a resource tool, I can't encourage you enough to use the online version of the 1828 Noah Webster Dictionary. Because here he takes words that were used in that day and he shows you them in the word of God. For he uses the word of God to define the word rather than the culture of humanity to change the word. And it leads us right to Genesis 1. In the beginning, time. God created the heavens space, and the earth, matter. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Another version of this would read, as John put it, in John 1, 1 through 5, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
But why do I conclude that verses 1 and 2 of Genesis are part of day 1? Look at, if you would, at Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. We see where, where Moses, again, ties in the Ten Commandments with the creative order. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner, the traveler who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made, there it is, heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That word made there is the word asah. It's talking about God's activity. And God's activity, according to Genesis 1, was that he created barah, something from nothing. But you'll note that what Moses does here is he ties very clearly the creation or the making or the activity of God making the heavens and the earth with, in fact, day one. And so as Scripture interprets Scripture, we start to understand that it's possible that verses 1 through 5 are in fact day 1 rather than 3 through 5 as day 1. The historical narrative entrusted to Moses was captured so that it reveals the days of creation and the divine assessments of them. They are the foundations of a decreed will. The decree of God is his purpose or his determination with respect to all things before the foundation of the world. It's amazing to sit there and think that when he spoke, when he spoke Adam into existence, he also had in mind Jeff Stevens. The passage is a narrative. So God is giving Moses an account of how he did it, and the fact that God is speaking implies who the divine audience is, with whom he was communicating. This passage is the first recorded conversation among the Godhead, the triune Godhead, and it should be noted that humanity did not exist until day six. This conversation that is going on is why I titled this the divine conversation or the, the, the design, this talking to himself. We immediately as people, no sooner do we receive this loving kindness from God, do we think that it is something about us when in fact it is about specifically him. His conversation is not one of sitting with humanity and saying, what do you think? Give me some input. Should we, we fashion it this way? God does not need to consult with anything outside of himself, and God spoke it into existence. Day one, he deals with time, space, matter, and of course, establishing his kingdom presence. Verses six through eight is day two. Let there be an expanse. He creates the heavens. Day three, verses nine through 13, water was placed in a spot and dry land appears. Day four, verses 14 through 19, is when he finally creates the lights, moon, star, sun, etc., in the expanse of the heavens. 
You see, so on day one, there were no sun, moon, and stars. There was just God who was, in fact, that light. Day five, he creates living creatures, birds, and fish. In corporate America, we used to always have this argument, the chicken or the egg. I've got a spoiler alert for you. It's the chicken. Mystery solved. And of course, on day six, a very busy 24-hour period of time, he creates livestock, creeping things, and beasts, and also humanity. Male and female, he creates them in the image of himself. Bob will spend more time next week talking about that. The text itself reveals God's accomplishments of his will through his word. As such, it anticipates the appropriate respect for and impact of the world of God itself. The passage is about divine activity. That God is. He acted and has spoken, reveal the greatest truths that mankind will ever know. God's activity is designed to prepare creation for habitation the habitation by mankind, and the facilitation of his living out of God's blessings. I've given you in your bulletin fairly non-typical notes. There's no fill in the blanks. I want you to be encouraged to take this as an opportunity when you go home and you sit with your family, your kids, who are all being taught Genesis creation order today, and that you use these phrases to understand what God is saying the terms that he uses for creation or made or formed or built or how many different, three different uses for the word yom, the word day. But the repetition of key phrases mark the extract that we're taking out of his work. When God says, he says, and God said, this phrase begins each new day of creation except for in day seven. Creation was spoken into existence. When he says God called, what he means is God assigned names to his creation. And we should note that this same word and activity is later assigned to Adam in chapter two, verse 19, where he gives Adam the kingdom authority to name things. He uses the term, let there be. This is what's called a jussive verb. It means it's putting mood to the verb. Just as the tech team created mood lighting, so to speak, as we, were, as we opened up, so is it when he says, let there be light, what he's saying is, let X happen. So anytime you see let there be, it is a prominent word extract that is revealing that which he spoke. The word, and it was so, or the phrase. This chronicles the cause of effect of God's divine pronouncements of creation. This phrase precedes the divine assessment of the goodness of creation in four of the days. If you want those four days, it's verses 9, 11, 24, and 30. When he uses the phrase, God saw, reha, The word reach occurs frequently in Genesis 1. 
In every occasion, it's associated with divine assessment of the goodness of creation. The emphasis is on divine inspection. This is not the seeing or the discovering of something by God, but the looking of it for the purposes of inspecting it. God blessed. God's blessing for both animals and mankind involved being fruitful and multiplying. We'll see that this is also the very first imperative, the very first command that God gives is to uh, the birds and the fish to be fruitful and multiply. Or the, word, the phrase, it, is, it was good. This is a divine assessment of the first five days of creation. Of course, the phrase very good was expressed for the completed creation. We should note that there is no explicit designation of goodness regarding day two of creation, though it seems that the designation of chapter one or verse one or chapter one, verse 10 regarding the dry land relates to the firmament of the second day, while the assessment in 112 relates to the remainder of the activities on day three. But there is an obvious parallel here between the days of creation because God is a God of order. Day one with day four, right? He said, let there be light, but he didn't create the sun and the moon and the stars until day four. So the light that we've concluded that is in day one is the presence of God himself. Day two is with day five, and day three with day six. And it is simply because God is a God of order. Day one and the creation of light with day and night and day. Day four is the creation of lights in the sky, sun, moon, and stars. Day two is the division of sky and waters. Day five is the creation of water and sky animals, birds and fish. Day three is the creation of dry land. Day six is the creation of animals and mankind to inhabit said dry land. The terms for creation. When you see the word create in English, the word Hebrew word there is bara. It means simply to create something from nothing. Or if you see the word made, it is the word asah. I've given you in your bulletin the verses where those are used. Or the word formed is yatsar. Or the word built or fashioned is the word bana. The terms seem to have some distinctions. The word create, bara, is only used in scripture of God. Never is it used of any other created being. As creative as we are, none of us have the ability to create something from nothing. Only God does that. It generally conveys that idea. If you want to look at other verses outside of Genesis, Psalm 51, verse 10. Psalm 102, verse 18. Psalm 104, verse 30. All use the word bara. The word make or asa is a more general term and it means God's activity. We looked at it in Exodus 20, verse 11, where God made the heavens and the earth. His activity was that he was doing bara. The word formed or yatsar carries the idea of taking something and making it into something else, where God is in fact using the materials. 
For he took the dirt of the earth and he fashioned the man. And from the man he took the rib of the man and fashioned the woman. But in 2.22 where he uses Benah, when he talks about the creating of the woman, it is implying to us and involves a more hands-on crafting and specialization. To be fashioned or to be made. The word woman, of course, means from man. One significant distinction between these words is that bara implies creation from nothing, while all the other words imply forming, making, or building something out of that which already existed within only verses 1 and 2. Time, space, and matter. Genesis 2.3 tells us that God rested from his created and made universe. Not only that which he spoke into existence from nothing, but that which he used, the materials he made from nothing to fashion other things. When we get to the days of creation, everyone wants to argue over whether it is a literal 24-hour period of time or whether it is a long period of time. Again, this is not a place to divide over with brothers and sisters. But I will take the position that it is a literal 24-hour day, and I will use God's word to show you why I come to that conclusion. It's true that the Hebrew word yom is used in three different ways in Genesis 1 and 2. In one place, it's referred to as a description of a period which inhabits the light in 1.5. It's also referred to as a definite length of time. In verses 5, 8, 13, 19, 23, 31, and also 2, 2. But it's also in Genesis 2, 4, it's referred to as an indefinite length of time. And this is where much of the argument starts to take place. However, there's no reason to see these days as anything other than a six literal days. Six literal 24-hour days. It's, of course, going to make for a very busy day six. But the reasons for interpreting the word yom as a 24-hour period is that, number one, the phrase evening and morning suggests the normal passing of time of a 24-hour day. Typically in Scripture, when a numeral is used with yom, it always refers to a 24-hour period. When he says the first day, he means 24 hours. When he says the second day, he means 24 hours. The concept of the Sabbath on the seventh day, Yom, only makes sense in the context of a 24-hour day. Otherwise, we should be resting every day, every day since the seventh day. Adam's age in Genesis 5, verse 5, says all the days were 930 years. The word days there is the word Yom. So he had 930 years of 24-hour days. Of course, in our calendar, we'd put 365 days for a year. They would put 350. But either way, 930 years at 350 days a year is still a pretty old guy. Other passages in Scripture describing creation support 24-hour understanding of the word, such as Exodus 20, verse 11, Exodus 23, 12, Exodus 31, 17, Deuteronomy 5, 12, Hebrews 4, 4. But in verse 3, God said... Let there be light, and there was light. 
There was no previous substance out of which to form creation. So God created something from nothing by his word. By his word, he created time, space, and matter with the obvious presence of himself being the very light that he's discussing. It's a prologue or an introduction of that which is to come. We see on the, on the board, Revelation 21, 23, it says, and the city has no need. This is going to the new earth, right? When we're in the presence of God in heaven, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is, and its lamp is the lamb. It's a prologue. Let there be light is an introduction of that which is to come. The establishment of the presence of God for here and for all eternity future. Colossians 1, 15 through 7 says, He, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's not only the creator, but he's also the sustainer of all of life. How big is your God? Is this the God, or is your life filled with anxiety and worry or even anger over the traffic jams of life, the difficulties and the block goals that create all kinds of emotions are moments where we temporarily lose sight of how big this God is. For he and he alone spoke everything into existence, including Scottsdale and Highlands Church and every soul who sits in here today. He did that before the foundations of the world. You were in the mind of God. And only over time has he revealed to us the beauty of his totality of his creation. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. See, sometimes people allude to that darkness represents evil and light represents goodness. But in this particular case, he's just making day and night. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. He then said in verse 9, let dry land appear. Let it be seen, he says. Raha, looking for it and the inspection of it. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. Verse 16 And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. The word here is the same relationship that is established later between man and woman in 3.16. It does not suggest importance, but function. It is significant in verse 1 and verse 18 that God saw this relationship and stipulated that this relationship was good. In verse 22, we get the first imperative. He says, And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. This first imperative to be fruitful, this command, the very first command God gives is to the fish and to the birds. 
This command foreshadows a similar command that he will give to mankind in chapter 1, verse 28. In 24 through 25, he says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. So what does this mean for my everyday life? It should influence our entire worldview. God spoke and fashioned everything into existence. In Romans 11, chapter 36, verse 36, or chapter 11, verse 36, from, it says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Romans 8, 28 through 29 says, and we know that those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among, among many brothers. He's establishing for us his creation order and ultimately the entrance of God the Son to come and atone for the sins for those who would believe upon him. In conclusion, as we look at this, I want you to, I've rephrased this, but it's a quote from Jonathan Edwards from the 1700s, the 18th century. It says, God has decreed all things that ever come to pass or all things do not come to pass. All that bear the mark of his creation are all the things that he knows. And all these he has known before the beginning. It is self-evident that if he knows all things beforehand, he either has willfully approved of them or willfully does not approve of them. That is, he either is willing they should be or that they should not be. But to speak the function and form of the heavens and the earth into existence is his will and that they should be is to decree them. The fact that we exist means that he spoke you and the entirety of the universe into existence. I want to tell you, there are no such thing as accidents. There is no such thing as luck. It seems like every time a person walks in and says, hey, good luck today. If I believed in luck, that would probably be a positive statement. But I don't believe in luck. I believe in a sovereign and a holy God. Today will be what today will be because God predetermined it before the foundation of the world. His love is not only unconditional for you, his love is premeditated. He set his affection upon you before the foundation of the earth because he spoke you into existence. You existed before the earth in the mind of God that he would bring you forward. The decrees of God relate to all future things without exception. Whatever is done in time is foreordained before time began. It's how I can look at every single day and say, this is the day that the Lord has made and I will be glad and rejoice in it. The traffic jams of life, the diseases, the afflictions, the people that we lose before their time, we think, I'm here to tell you that God spoke this and foreordained it before time began. The decrees of God are wise. 
Wisdom is shown in the selection of the best possible ends and the fittest means of accomplishing them. His will is free. God was alone when he made his decree and he determined them by no external cause. He was free to decree or not to decree and to decree one thing and not to decree another. All that exists came from his divine conversation within the triune Godhead. His decrees are absolute, unconditional, and premeditated. The execution of them isn't suspended upon any condition of his creation which may or may not be performed. He and he alone is God Almighty. This worldview of God's creation is the only way that you and me will be driven to our knees in worship of Creator God. Like Thomas said two weeks ago, all of creation was designed to worship the Creator. Think of how much of your life is spent worshiping the creation and all the stuff on it. When everything is designed to draw your attentions in humility to the one who created it all. You see, when I thought that God had revealed Jill to be my wife at that camp in Northern California, I was so blessed when the decreed will of God became known and she became my wife. But as we moved all of our stuff in together, we were sitting there going through boxes and I pulled out a picture. So oh, cool, here's my, my high school. Remember, we didn't meet till we were older as youth leaders. And I pulled out my forest home picture from like 1981. And I pulled it out and I said, yeah, this is my high school camp picture where I first heard the gospel. She says, no, that's mine. And I said, no, look, here I am. And I'm pointing on the right side of the picture. And she grabs it and she says, yeah, but here I am. I don't remember meeting her at that camp, but the woman who God spoke into existence before the foundation of the world and meant to be my wife before time even existed was already there. I had probably seen her, but yet hadn't become as bold or as blunt. <laughs> I want you to leave today and ask yourself the question, how big is your God? Because when you get to the point that you recognize that he's this big, then I want you to double it. And when you get to the point that you realize that he's that big, then I want you to double it again. You have and I have all eternity to come to know this God. You will never, ever, in all eternity future, ever come to fathom and understand how big and how beautiful and how lovely this God is. But it is by his grace his mercy, that he reveals himself to us over a period of time, revealing that which he spoke into existence before time itself even existed. Matthew 6, 25 tells us, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? 
Not a single sparrow will fall to the ground unless the Father wills it. I hope you see this God as all-powerful, all-sustaining, that he created the heavens and the earth in six literal days. On the seventh day, he rested. And you and me were in his mind as part of his creation. Our Father and our God, Lord, we thank you so much for your, the wonderment of your creation, the power of your creation, the beauty and the loveliness of how thoughtful you have been to fashion each and every soul. I often awake asking the question, nearly eight billion people in this world, why would you so graciously set your affection upon me? an unworthy sinner. I thank you, Lord, for sending your Son that even before time existed, the Son existed. And it was always your plan to send him. Help us, Lord, to grow in your grace and the knowledge of your Son. Amen. Awesome. How big is your God? I hope that what you will see as you go and examine God's Word and dig into this this passage, these words, that you will come out of it just exploding with, with how huge and how high and how holy this God is. The old adage is, right, if I had the power of God, there are so many things in this world I would change. But if I had his wisdom, I would change nothing. Let's go forward and grow in our awareness of how high and how holy this God is. God bless you. Have a great week. 